In the 1980s, three kids grew up watching cartoons in their PJs, eating cold cereal and playing with toys. These boys promptly grew up and joined the vast suburban landscape. Today, still infatuated with toys and shows from their youth, they survive as dads. If you want a podcast and have no one else to listen to, and if you can find it, maybe you can listen to The Saturday Morning Buffoons. All right, well, welcome to the first ever Saturday Morning Buffoons podcast. Uh, my name is Kevin, and I'm here with Jason and Joe. And Hi, uh, what up? We are uh, three really longtime friends that uh, that got a little bit older day by day, but never grew up. And one of our favorite things to do is rewatch old cartoons, especially GI Joe. So for today, uh, we've picked a we've picked an episode to share with you. It's it's. <laughs> What pretty our... random, pretty random episode. <laughs> yeah, it's it's random. We're not starting at the beginning or anything like that. And you can blame Jason for that because it was his choice to do this episode, which makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what so... I've noticed is that uh, season two is really um, like jump the shark or something because they got a lot of weird episodes. Yeah, for sure, dude. Like there's there's kind of all over the place in season two. There's some continuity in season one. Yeah, well, season two has got the one with uh, Lifeline becoming a, a superstar or whatever it is, where he's stalked by that really rich girl. And By the way, I have in my notes, Lifeline may be the worst Joe ever, next to Scoop, <laughs> in yeah. both figure and in the show. What do you mean? You you mean uh, wearing bright red into battle is not a good idea? Yeah, and he's just a jerk. Like, <laughs> I get it, you're a pacifist, but like, don't be a dick about it. Don't join oh, the man, military. That, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you joined the uh, military, fool. So uh, this episode is officially called Once Upon a Joe. Um, but I like to refer to it as, I think you guys do, as the MacGuffin device. Yep. Which, you know, the, the breakdown of the of the episode is, like, the Joes are sitting around having coffee, you know, winding down after a long day of being an elite G.I. Joe force, yet everyone and their mom knows who they are, which I can't figure that one out still. Right. As, a, as a kid, and I was like, how does everyone know who they are? But, like, I don't know. Yeah, and they show up. all of a sudden, an alarm goes off at the, quote, MacGuffin uh, <laughs> laboratories, which they have a direct link to G.I. Joe, which... Every laboratory and uh, every research center, every bank had a direct link to G.I. Joe. Right, I mean... Their budget must be unreal. Yeah, um, it's true. And, dude. and they're no, like, we need to call the police. We'll just hit this button for GI Joe. Oh no, MacGuffin Studios, Studios, MacGuffin uh, Laboratories, and they like spring into action. Right. Um, it, it, the the Cobra is as usual is trying to steal stuff. GI Joe goes to intercept. Um, Cobra fails. Weird. And then they call Zartan, who is basically you know he's the fix all for Cobra Commander, like. I watched a bunch of episodes this week and I was like, God, they really rely on Zartan. Like that guy for a guy who's raking in the kind of money that he does from Cobra, like living in a swamp. Not, yeah. He's not really, it's kind of like if you guys watch Ozark, like yeah, Zartan is basically um, Ruth, right? Like right. <laughs> he's like British trash who, even though he has millions of dollars, lives in a swamp, much like Ruth living in a trailer, you know, by the lake in Ozark. Uh, anyway, yeah. In the ensuing, we're going to get this. You're not going to get this. They destroy an orphanage. Uh-huh. Right? Thanks, Shipwreck. 
Yeah, and oh. then they go to rebuild said orphanage, which, by the way, the next by day. my calculations, was like in 12 hours. Yeah, because they were all I still actually... staring at the burning wreckage of the orphanage in their pajamas yeah. when they rolled up the next day. In yeah, that, I actually have in that, that in ocean, my nose. In that ocean nightmare that is their building site, uh, which yeah. we'll get to later. Um, and they, you know, shipwreck is a, you know, they're like, you're worthless, go away. So he lays down to take a nap. One of the little orphans is like, tell me a story, Shipwreck. Which, by the way, she sounds just like Martin from The Simpsons. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. She sounds... It's Martin from The Simpsons with long hair. Um, So he starts to tell her this kooky story of Duke who lives in a shoe with three kids. It's Leatherneck, Wetsuit, and Ship Shape. Mm -hmm. They all have different names. And then, yeah. uh... The Duke, Leatherhead, and Frogface with Ship Shape. Which, by the way, those graphics are pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. They are. Um, and then he they encounter, you know, the evil Cobra, the wicked stepmother, magic, no, fairy stepmother. So and then, <laughs> yeah, basically. And then the giant who guards the hamburger cave. Um to mine, yeah. thank you. Yeah, and then eventually they find the MacGuffin device. Shipwreck uses it to bring his... Which, remember at the beginning, they're like, what's the MacGuffin device? No one has answers. And then all of a sudden at the end, Beachhead is like Gandalf. He's like, this this device manifests your fantasy, whatever, to real so, life. technically, Beachhead said it was classified swabby, but he never really said he didn't know. Okay, fair enough. He in, yeah. in he insinuated. Well, yeah. I mean, it's Beachhead, right? Like he's he's only going to give you so much information. Shipwreck said that means you don't know. Well, shipwreck's right. not exactly the sharpest tool in the shed. Yeah. Do you guys know what MacGuffin the term MacGuffin is for the in like um, in other movies and other things? I actually looked it up on Wikipedia. I have the yeah. Wikipedia definition of MacGuffin. Oh wow! So yeah, it's like, like a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it, Jay. So um, it first started with. Uh, the, well, who's uh, Raven? What's the guy? Uh, Orson Welles? No, whatever. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, basically, it's an object, event, or character in a film or story that a plot uh, that moves the plot. Huh. But it's so, irrelevant. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, it's just that uh, they just slap a name on a thing that they don't know. What yeah, exactly. So the 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 Wikipedia definition is in fiction. A MacGuffin is an object, device, or event that is necessary to the plot and motivation of characters, but is insignificant, unimportant, or irre- irrelevant in itself. Basically, exactly what Jason said. Uh, but is that the case in this episode? Because that's yes. the thing that they're yeah, after. Good. Well, that's the thing they're after. And yeah, but it's also, just motivating the them moving forward. Okay, thank you. But that thing, totally. if they would have just found it or whatever, it would have been different. But then suddenly that thing that was irrelevant is what causes shipwreck to take down yeah it's just all the yeah. night ravens at the end so like but so is it or isn't it well you here's the here's the rest of it the macguffin technique is common in films especially thrillers usually the macguffin is revealed in the first act and thereafter declines in importance it can reappear at the climax of the story but may actually be forgotten by the end of the story Multiple, well, it wasn't forgotten no but it did kind of come back at the climax right so, right because it's it was used to help take down the night the, the, Well, the plot, in my opinion, is more the orphanage gets blown up, 
and they have to rebuild it and then shipwreck twice stories that's <laughs> twice wait wait wait. what do you mean twice yeah. it gets blown up twice yeah because in the second one it's uh um dr mindbender shooting at it with his night ravens they he basically just blows up the frame that they had so okay they build an orphanage <sighs> twice they rebuild an orphanage who's been shot down twice in less than eight hours in less than a 24 hour period six because they come in the morning and then they start to build it up night ravens come they blow that up the night ravens go away and then they rebuild it overnight i mean at the end of the night it's the same day i mean i think we've already established that gi joe pretty much has an unlimited budget right (laughs) i don't know if you could do that without the limited budget that's like no osha no it was the cold war (laughs) maybe that's it it was the cold war we basically defeated russia by outspending them so that's true it. yeah um 86 okay, so i have i have a couple oh, yeah. things real quick so i one of the things that was bothering me not bothering me catching my attention in the first like five minutes of the episode is how many times they say the word MacGuffin. yeah oh yeah okay I, I i i kept track throughout the entire episode it's the episode is 22 minutes long they say MacGuffin 17 times nice that's that's a lot <laughs> like a minute it's like every minute and 20 seconds somebody says mcguffin so much for an irrelevant sort of blending into the background <laughs> like mcguffin right. mcguffining MacGuffin. and i know i know it sounds like a drinking game i know Ooh. one of the comments that you made that when you watched it earlier this week joe was about the strato <laughs> so apparently cobra is cutting like they're in a desperate need for like manpower so they've like completely cut their military physical fitness standards yeah. in, in a flying vehicle, no less, right? Like shadow vipers are pilots. And this guy is like that, that guy's pushing like 250. <laughs> yeah. No, maybe not 250. He's, he's maybe not like 225. Raven. But still like it's a plane. Weight matters a ton in a plane. No, no pun intended, he, but <laughs> you know, like that guy rightfully so at the beginning was driving a truck, which was where he yeah. should have been. And why were place. they driving trucks? They I, fly I their planes. Then, so this whole the whole beginning part baffled me. So they have a top secret lab which has direct uh, alarm connections to GI Joe headquarters. Yet the security is so shitty that like four trucks can just drive up and smash through the wall. Their their whole plan <laughs> to kill to. <laughs> to steal this thing is like somebody trying to steal an ATM out of a 7-Eleven. I'm going to drive my car through the front door, smash it, get out, grab it, and then run back into my car and drive away. Or better yet, the I'm going to chain it to my bumper. It's going to rip yeah, my bumper off exactly. with my license on the back. They pull the Terminator from the first one where he's trying to find Sarah Connor in the thing. He just drives his car right through the front of the police station. Yeah, that's true. The device is so well protected, though, that a Strato Viper shoots a rocket launcher at close range indoors to get this out of glass. Kill everybody in it, and then it just breaks the glass. By the way, without worrying, well, I mean, I guess they might have had some ear protection on, but... They had their helmets. That's fine. No, it's like, is it a standard Cobra thing, like, in case of emergency, break glass with bazooka? Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair... If if GI Joe if episodes of GI Joe are basically like video games, right? Like right. the physics are kind of eh, and the logic is kind of eh. We would do the same crap. Sure, sure right? Absolutely. Like how many times have we played a game yeah. where like I I can't figure out what a let's just shoot a rocket at it. Yep, yep. That's We're just gonna point. blow it up. That's a good point. Let's blow it up. But Throw I always, some grenades on it. I always love in GI Joe too. Like 
you do not see this rocket launcher or bazooka the entire time until he needs it. Well, yeah, it's it's like it was in like the truck. Simpson and his watch. The watch is only on his wrist when it's relevant to the conversation. Or like Highlander, when you need a sword, you just pull it out of your jacket. <laughs> um, I can have a sword in my jacket. I mean, maybe he had it in stupid his pants. Not to. Maybe he had it in his pants. <laughs> We've already established that those form-fitting Strato Viper uniforms did not leave room for rockets. It was the big guy. Especially the big on guy, guy had the rocket. Maybe he was. That's why he was so large. He had the rocket. Big guy. Archer. Can we use some? Uh, you know, like hus- the husky fellow. Okay, fine. The husky guy. <laughs> and then the big and tall. What, what am I? Oh no, he wasn't tall. He was short. <laughs> short squad. One of my other geographical questions about this is why are these two yeah. things this MacGuffin yes uh, laboratory uh, yep and next to an orphanage. orphanage yep um by the way what looks like rural America yeah so I have in my notes next to a spooky orphanage yeah why is there a top secret lab within you know like it doesn't even seem like a mile from an orphan is it because as mentioned several times in the episode we're just orphans. No one will care if we die. Oh man, that was the best line at the end of the thing where Zardin has the has a little kid. He's like, "Yeah, I got a hostage." He's like, "Don't worry, shipwreck. I'm an orphan. No one will miss me. Shoot him. Shoot me. Who cares?" Get him scratchy. He's Irish. Exactly. <laughs> the, the orphans make multiple good points throughout the whole time, but for one. So they go to rebuild this orphanage, right? And of course, we know it takes less oh, than twenty-four hours. Six hours. Let me let me let me interrupt you real quick. The little girl, before she gets shipwrecked, to agree to tell her a story, also guilt trips him about being an orphan. Correct. She's like, read me a story. He's like, go away, kid. And she's like, oh, it's cool. I'm an orphan. No one really. And then she like yeah. trails off, and shipwreck feels guilty. So, I'll just go yeah. hang out in my burned-down house that you used to right. to burn but, it down. They never take these children to some other safer location. Like G.I. Joe didn't even say, hey, take them to the headquarters until we get it rebuilt. Right. It's like, you're going to well, go camping out here. Where did yeah, they go? This thing. I think I, well, to be fair, they didn't have to go anywhere, right? Because it was up so fast that they were just milling around. And the little girl goes, uh, sure, shipwreck. I get it. You're busy resting on wood and I'm just an orphan. So, and then he's like, oh, right, right, right. I guess he I'll was sorry. Testing the structural plot of the wood and the laying on the wood. ground, by the way. Like, yeah, how much flex are you putting on that plywood, bud? Exactly, it's, right. it's testing structure. <laughs> and, and so, you know, they the kids never leave, obviously, but they they, they make really good points. The, in the story, he says they're going to trade the family cow for hamburgers, and the kid calls him out on it. Yeah, goes, yeah, if you have a cow, why do you need hamburgers? I think that was that that was cool because um, that's the writer just going like, "Hey, I'm gonna make something up really, really stupid, and then I'm just gonna call myself back on it." He's yeah. like, "Hey, why did why if they're gonna have hamburgers? Why did they not have the cow?" Well, I mean, hamburger mine. Fair, Wait a minute, why are they gonna eat shipwreck if he's got a hamburger mine? To be fair, the cow did have sneakers, so they were yeah. clearly invested in that cow's longevity. Yeah, versus... they needed the cow for milk. Converse right. sneakers. Um, w- one of the things that I thought was 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 cool was <clears throat> you can actually point out basically every one of the GI Joes who's helping rebuild this orphanage. I wrote I wrote every guy down. So Flint's there, Alpine, Bazooka, Lady J, Footloose, Rock and Roll, Cover Girl, Scarlet, Gung Ho, Roadblock, Dusty, Shipwreck, of course, 
leatherneck, wetsuit, beachhead, and dial tone are all on the job site. At Wait, one where's point lift another. Did you say mainframe? I did uh, not. Was mainframe there too? He was there at some okay. capacity. So I was actually, just looking at that might have been at the beginning when they were in the Joe headquarters when the alarm went off. So yeah, well, and, which and makes when, sense when dial tone is referred to as a recruit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> these recruits. But Technically, like, he was new for that season. He was. He was. But so I was doing it based on when they show the the, the like wide shot of the frame of the orphanage mm-hmm. going back up. I basically just wrote down. Yeah, who's everybody. hanging on it? Yeah, and, and Dial Tone shows up later in another scene. But you're right, Lift Ticket was there. And did you guys catch when um, Beachhead shows up in a beanie for like five seconds? Yeah, that's when he says a... that there's dreadnoughts around. Beachhead loses have... stuff like three or four times in the episode. He comes, he when he tells Shipwreck that, hey, there's a swamp fire around or whatever it is, and he's got, there's dreadnoughts in the area. He shows up, beanie on his head. He's got no front cover. He's just like hanging out like wetsuit with, the green beanie and then the next frame it's all full-on beachhead and then yep. there's another part at the end of the episode when um shipwreck loses all of the or let loose the mcguffin device and beachhead is getting hit in the head with a uh cobra but the, the hammer he's uh he's missing his outfit again he's back to regular like i'm missing my uh um i think it was his whole on uh his hood again it was back up yeah. in the beanie form again yeah, it's like yeah. three or four times he's which i he, guess I guess the mask could be rolled up into a beanie, right? It's a, you know, it's, it's a balaclava. Yes. Yeah, but, but why, why have it one? Like, <laughs> hey, I don't have anything on my head. Whoops, sorry, just kidding. Maybe head. he's taking a bite of something. I don't know. Maybe the Cobra ripped <laughs> it off and beat him in the head. His whole chest rig is gone, too. Yeah. Yeah, so can we can we mention briefly... Um, Shitty Korean animation? Sure. ...from the beginning? Yeah, um, go for it. So, you know, they respond, and they're driving the Havoc which the Havoc gets a lot of prominent usage in this season of G.I. Joe. Um, season two. I had it. I thought it was cool, but yeah. like it was one of those G.I. Joe vehicles that like didn't make any sense in reality. You drove it from outside on top of, <laughs> on top <laughs> like, of the cockpit. But were you, then what were the guys on the inside under the glass cover doing? Like, Lying right, down. Cause, well, but cross country was always the guy supposed to be driving it, and he always got on top. Right. And right. Maybe they was those two little guns completely in the front. exposed. Maybe at that point they were like, "Well, we know Cobra can't hit anything anyway, so yeah. F it. Let's just huh. let's just sit on the it. outside." Well, well, what about the hover jet in the back? The this thing yeah. just opens up, and then the hover jet yeah. comes out. That was underutilized in the, yeah. in the episode. I mean, Which, don't get me wrong; like, I loved it as a vehicle, but like, yeah, it's just logistically is very problematic. Yeah, absolutely. Like the what what I think is interesting is that I loved I loved GI Joe vehicles in toy form that had additional vehicles or something that came off of them, right? Of so course. That that just made it so much cooler cuz it was like you got two things for for the price of one. But in GI Joe the cartoon, I don't recall them ever really using that hover skill. Hardly ever. G- and uh, the one with the Cobra Law, the movie, the G.I. Joe movie, yeah. okay. uh, Roadblock comes out of the back of it, and the Nemesis Enforcer hits the front and knocks him off. Hmm. Okay, okay. If, hey, if we're going back to the beginning of this, where they, uh, before the fat, uh, they, uh, they take off with the MacGuffin device in the Firebats, uh, where does the box go that drops the Battle Android Trooper onto the green? He's like, drops the box. He's like, hey, let's hang out with this Battle Android Trooper. And all of a sudden, it like, 
centurion like transforms <laughs> into the battle android yeah trooper. it and drops it, off it, the back of their trucks that have right the but then fire bats inside yeah but then as it as the bats come out of the box it that morphs up it into disappears. him it yeah he no the box that he's in becomes the bats i just i'm literally just watching it right now yeah but how is that possible it the like bats are transformers uh, wizards <laughs> yeah, but and I'm also, this is this is new for me this was not i wouldn't call it mind-blowing but i never noticed this are bats bigger than people no i don't think so are you um, sure definitely bigger than fat straddle viper, that's for sure but yeah. but so they like the the way they, they apparently walk like zombies with their hands out the, yeah. the, appear, the appearance of the bat like he looks like he's twice the size of a human because also when he climbs up on the havoc and beachhead shoots him in the face yeah you're not seeing his whole body if he was the size of beachhead you can see beachhead's whole frame whole body in the frame well that's a good point so i'm i'm skimming this section right now um, by the way, this is this not the first use of bats in an no. episode? No, it's not. Because they make it sound like, hey, we're going to release this new thing. No, er- earlier in the season, they show up, a whole bunch of bats show up at G.I. Joe headquarters, I know, at some point. Okay, it's uh, Serpentor, the Arise Serpentor Arise, I thought, first episode has it. Yeah, because Sergeant Slaughter's in it, right? Yeah, because that, that's, okay. that's how you know that Sergeant Slaughter's the guy. See, the way they, they make it sound. Surprised. But you're right, he does look... Bigger. strangely gigantic yeah. um especially when the havoc rolls by he just like reaches out and grabs it like he's almost as tall as the side of the havoc so this is jumps on so this was during the sunbow era is this the same one as like for transformers because transformers also had a crazy like uh size proportion problems like sometimes they yeah. were a size of people and then sometimes they were like two stories high and then they were yeah. a car and then you, you know so maybe they I, just I don't do understand think... scale when Sergeant Slaughter fights them and there and there's tons of them, they all look people sized. And of course, an action figure version, they're the same size as all the other G.I. Joe figures. So I always thought they were, you know, just meant to be the size of, of people. There was just, just tons of them. The uh, the people that they hired to do animation just doesn't understand scaling. Okay. All right. All right. So if we're st- another thing kind of it's near the beginning. All right. The when when they call Zartan after this whole thing goes wrong, and as Joe pointed <laughs> oh, out, I got calls Zartan. Zartan. <laughs> the the dreadnoughts are fighting over breath whether mint or something candy is mint. a breath mint and a candy mint. First yeah. of all, please someone educate me. What so, what's the difference between like a breath a mint and a candy mint? A peppermint disc versus like a certs, I guess. With because the certs, like let's say I'm just going to use a breath saver or a certs, right? Like it's specifically made to freshen breath so like tic tac versus versus the other like uh pinwheel candy yeah like that's that's my interpretation because like a pinwheel candy is more sweet and less minty yeah. right like so that's the candy specific mint. are harsher mintiness like altoids. altoids yeah okay yeah there you go so you okay, know what this... we're british by the way so you know what this is a reference to wrong. This is a reference to the uh, great taste, less filling from Miller Lite that was going on in the 80s. Is it really? Yeah. How the hell did you unearth that? <laughs> <laughs> not not that I'm doubting you because... It's on the internet. It must be true. The crap you pull out. 
It's on the uh, internet. You it must said be it true. with such confidence. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, please, please indulge us more. So it's the great taste, less filling argument? Yeah. So great taste, less filling was going on right around this time because this was made in, what, 86? Yeah. 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 And so that this was this was their homage to the great taste, less filling, breath mint, candy mint. Also, breath mint, candy mint. Did you see that Xandar hit somebody with a crocodile? <laughs> I did not notice that. I'm gonna have to go back uh, and see it again. I did not notice. Yes. That. So um, that's that's Buzzer comes up with a <laughs> Buzzer comes up with a shovel, and then Torch tackles Buzzer, and then oh Xandar God. hits Torch he with totally a crocodile. Does. So he that's totally the, does. that's the second time. Well, it's technically the first time chronologically, but it's the second time we see serious escalation of weapons during a crocodile? fight. <laughs> no, <laughs> because <He> when <laughs> when uh. When Shipwreck starts telling the story and in it, Leatherneck and Wetsuit are fighting. Yes. You see them doing like the Benny yeah, Hill thing going across the screen and yeah, they always come back tank, with a big weapon. A bomb. And yet we get another indoor close range bazooka. Yeah. Were they, but, I thought that at one point I thought, cause it was the high pitched voices. So I couldn't really tell, but at one point I thought I heard breath mint candy mint. I thought that well, they were arguing about that too, but yeah, I don't think so, they were. No. So I want to go back to it. The breath mint candy mint. So, we don't get. Uh, we now know where that came from, but we don't get the basis of the argument. Are they arguing which one is better, or did they all just eat a mint, and they were arguing whether they I, ate a breath mint or a I candy don't, mint? I don't think. I think it was just to show that they were arguing again, because um, Cobra Commander was like, "Hey, we need you to go get this MacGuffin device," and he's like, "Well, sorry, but they're engaged in some sort of a, a dispute or a, a um, okay. What do you say? Something about um." Uh, uh, mind philosophical, philosophical debate or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, they're brawling again, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah. And let's point was... out. Let's point out. Zartan gets paid three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, to try to go, go get the MacGuffin in nineteen eighty six. That's a crap ton of money. <laughs> did he? Was that number mentioned? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he picks yeah, it up. Says when he actually he goes and he, up. Yep. He says quickest three hundred thousand like, dollars ever made or something like that. Yeah, that's Which, it. Okay, so a couple things. Did you guys notice that when he hits the Cobra Commander dummy with the dart, that it makes the lightsaber noise? Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of them like that. Because yeah, I like think they're using the, the same sound effects. The like sometimes when they have jets fly by, it's like a Tie Fighter sound. Mm -hmm. Um, but so. <laughs> I have some like so, so Zartan flies in the swamp fire or the mm -hmm. swamp fire, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And he parks it. I think he Those puts a cover on it. Those are camouflage net. Right. Those are camouflage net over it. And then mm -hmm. he beats he finds shipwreck, steals the MacGuffin device. Why is he not getting back on the swamp fire and flying the hell out of there? He was he's, so he went no, no, back. No, he he, he immediately <laughs> was wearing shipwreck's no, outfit no. after no, he, beat he didn't. Him. No, he didn't. He beat him. He tied him up, and he went to go back to the thing. He saw Beachhead, shipwreck, or Beachhead, and somebody else uncovering the swamp fire. So he's like, "Crap!" He runs back to shipwreck, unties him, strips him, takes his clothes, reties him up, and then goes. No, I think you're reading between the lines. No, I don't think any of that. Uh, okay, so shipwreck is knocked out and fully clothed. Yes. So then he goes, skip ahead a little bit further. You'll see them uncovering the swamp fire. And they're like, oh, it must have been left here overnight. Or maybe Zartan's running around. Like Zartan's the only guy that drives the swamp fire. 
Yeah, yeah. And then he said something that I was like, wait, what? Like, that's... So he goes... Um, let's see. <laughs> they say something like... Um, we, we we need to stay... We need to, like... Oh, what does he say? Beachhead says something that's like... It's not that big a deal. Essentially, he's like, oh, it's not that big a deal. Let's just keep an eye out for him. Yeah. Like, like... Red alert. It's okay. It's just, is... it's, it's just Zartan. The only guy yeah, that yeah. can drive a swamp fire. The only guy that can also disguise himself as anybody. And where did he get him off the, oh, the equipment? He says, Beachhead says, we may need some more patrols. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, and who we, do they go as may need. They try to find Shipwreck, who's already been uh, stripped naked and thrown into a bush. And then they have Leatherneck and Wetsuit. And what do Leatherneck and Wetsuit do along their patrols? Make fun of each other. Yeah. You jarhead are, are like chumps. And he's like, you frogmen are like chimps. And I'm like, what the hell? What what kind of a argument is that? Chumps and chimps? I don't know. Well, it, yeah. Breathman. Candy Candyman. Oh, so going back, um, I think that I don't know about um, the, the the story that Shipwreck tells is pretty wacky. So I, I don't, we're not going to go into that. I don't think we should go into that detail too much. I mean, but I do notice there was another thing in there. The uh, shipwreck when he was talking about ship shape, he was playing with transformers and My Little Ponies. Oh, which is also another that. thing that is controlled by Hasbro. Huge then, oh, and huge in that time frame. So going back a little bit, so I, I pulled it up here. Zartan got paid three hundred thousand dollars, which yes. today would be three quarters of a million dollars. Oh, just to steal it! I'm telling you, that guy is—he's he's loaded. So, it, yeah. so I've watched. I've probably watched like four or five, maybe 10 episodes this week. And literally Cobra Commander continuously calls on Zartan to bail him out of stuff. Like, yeah, well, continuously. Yeah. But so you go back to what you guys said earlier about the, um, the infinite budget, right? So Cobra has an infinite budget as well. We know that Cobra in some ways has made money with different like fronts, right? Like extensive enterprises or... Uh, cold slither or they have all these like you know harebrained ideas but after all of this because i guess i guess maybe zartan never actually finishes the job because he lives in the swamp forever so you're saying that cobra commander never pays him correct that's what i think is either he doesn't get the job done or cobra commander's like uh yeah i'll put it on your tab and uh you know eventually i'll I'll pay you out after i take over the world so which begs the question if Zartan never finishes. Is Cobra's like talent pool that terrible that well, they have to continuously call on Zartan, who can't get the job done? I mean, or to be fair, is Zartan that desperate that he continuously yeah. keeps working for free? Basically, I mean, to be fair, George, Cobra's job pool is is very interesting. A, you already pointed out they send pilots to retrieve a device driving cars, right? Mm-hmm. Driving trucks, which I guess it makes sense that they jump in light vehicles after the fact after but why did they send dr mindbender as the that was pilot gonna, in the night well, i was yeah. gonna say like if you guys have... wear a shirt he's not even wearing a shirt i thought i thought maybe because he was under contract in that episode like, like we have to have in season two we have to have x number of of uh, episodes containing dr mindbender right because i mean dr Dr. Mindbender is a Vince McMahon WWF creation gone wrong that they were like, now we'll just sell this to Hasbro and they can make a G.I. Joe figure out of it. 
Do you do you yeah, think that I, the uh, well, do you think that the voice actor that plays Doctor Mindbender was like one of the six people that was there, and they're like, well, we don't have any other. What other guy can show up in a Stratoviper or in a, a Night Raven wearing a cape and no shirt? That's not. That's not a Stratoviper, like because Stratovipers don't talk except for those guys that were at the beginning. And or they're they're errand boys. Yeah. Well, but is Doctor Mindbender an errand boy though? Like no, no, the Stratovipers are. Right, but so is Doctor Mindbender there to ensure because he's like a higher ranking guy, right? I I I kind of like get the interpretation that in the newer seasons he takes over as sort of that major blood character, right? Sure. Where he's got some sort of rank and importance. Um, oh, and so he's there to make sure it gets taken care of, essentially. You, you know what, though? I just I just thought of this. He's the scientist. So he yeah. tells you with the MacGuffin device. He's like, oh, my God, they're using the MacGuffin device. He brings validity to the MacGuffin Dude. device. And let's, let's, let's touch on the Major Blood thing here. There are some serious similarities between Dr. Mindbender and Major Blood. He died mustache, out. Mustache, number one. Mustache. And they both have uh, an Something eye over their eye on one eye. And... You're, like you said earlier, Joe, he's you, he's clearly a higher ranking, right? It, like in my mind, in that era, right? It's like Serpentor, Cobra Commander, Destro, and then Mindbender. Yeah. Do you think Major Blood is Mindbender? <laughs> and that he was wearing an eye patch because he didn't have a monocle at the time. <laughs> you never saw him in the same place. <laughs> well, or like he decided, you know, like he's gonna get in touch. Mindbender, different side. <laughs> And just wait, so I'm just gonna rock pants and suspend yeah. with a cape. Like, yeah. come on, like, yeah, so major like blood the Cobra guys were giving him crap. Like, let's hold on, let's talk about this for just a second. <laughs> like, like they weren't giving him crap for that. Like, bro, put a shirt on. Well, Big Bo is this other one, it's the same thing, yeah, but he's a boxer, yeah, but he's got he's their studied, trainer. He got studied. say what you want about gung ho, at least he had a vest on, it could button up if he needed it to. It doesn't look like I'm a straight up wearing. Metal suspenders straight over nips. Like, like he must be investing in like some sort of moisturizing cream for his nipples because yeah, he's he's they've got to be like ripped off. Well, he's going to the power exchange on the weekends. It's metal suspenders on a straight bare chest. Ow. Well, and also he's the scientist, right? So he is working with chemicals. And all sorts of different things in the the polar opposite of safety gear. How are you? I get also, it. How, He's eccentric like Sheldon. I get it. How are you going to keep your clothes clean from all your science experience if you just don't wear any? That's it. That's all you got to do. Maybe maybe the science experiment burned his nipples off, and that's and why you can wear the suspenders over him. How, that guy has some serious workout time, like, and he's ripped, right? But he's just cruising around with no shirt on. I, yeah. I just never understood. Like, was he GI Joe's answer to He Man? I don't. I don't know. Well, let's let's go with uh, Major Blood got fired and then sh- shaved his head and got a glass eye and put a monocle. So over he pulled it. a Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> He's like, I'm Robin Williams. I like. I want to see my kids. <laughs> I'm gonna come back as somebody different. Hopefully, nobody sees me. I'm not Doctor. I'm not Major Blood. <laughs> yeah. Careful to stick of gum. That's the explanation. Or. The, the the logical realistic explanation is Doctor Mindbender's action figure came out that season, and they just got to make sure he shows up in the show. And oh, but, for but sure, like Major Major Blood was cool, dude. I I have a the the toy line um, really drove what was in the show. 
Oh, for and I don't, sure. And I don't know, like He-Man, it was the other way around. Like they had the show and then they made the toys. But I think G.I. Joe was the first one where they were like, we're coming up with toys. We got to put them into the into the cartoon. No. Well, the He-Man one, actually, I saw it on that Netflix special. He-Man was the guy trying to sell the He-Man figures, told all the toy stores there was going to be a cartoon coming. And he didn't even get any clearance for it. So they had to come up with the cartoon on oh, the fly yeah, yeah. to support yeah, the figures. Right. But I think G.I. Joe, so the the very first season of G.I. Joe, the early ones, I think, was a cartoon. And then yeah. they made action figures. And then they switched to that model where we're going to use the action figures to coincide or drive the cartoon. Because 86 is really where G.I. Joe took off, right? Like, that's the... I think 85, 86 is like the golden era of G.I. Joe action figures and TV. Um because well, that's when the characters two. start to get get more unique, right? Before that, Zap, Breaker, all those guys, they look relatively similar, right? They're all wearing some sort all of vehicles green. All drab. Right. Well, it's a bit of an extension for from the 12-inch G.I. Joes, right? Who were right. all essentially semi-realistic, soldier-looking right. figures. And then... Even the next season, 85, 86, right? Is that the, like, we had a couple guys who were specialized, like, barbecue is orange, airtight mm-hmm. is yellow. Right? Yeah, like, airtight's, airtight's a hazmat guy, so of course he's going to look like a jack wagon. Barbecue is the same color as flames in case he goes down, they can't find him, and he burns to death, <laughs> right? Like, that's, kind of irre- that's kind of a bad decision, right? <laughs> right? Like, and it's not even safety orange, like, right? you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is another guy that you're sending into battle with a fire hose. Right. And that's like barbecue doesn't have a weapon except for his axe, I guess. Right. But so I guess <laughs> back to the, the actual episode here. Um, a couple other things that I thought were funny is is when Leathernecks decides to take over telling the story, he, he shows up randomly with a mind detector. Yeah, because we're go all working our, we're all working over here, and you got to do something. By the way, they told him to get lost because <laughs> yeah. yeah, shipwreck is an ocean nightmare. Not to mention that entire work site was an ocean nightmare. Well, I think, shipwreck, I think just, shipwreck is a nightmare. Well, he's an ocean nightmare, and they're like, basically, they're like, shipwreck, get the hell out of here. And then when when Leatherneck shows up and shipwreck isn't doing anything, he's like, what the hell? Why are you sitting around <laughs> doing nothing? And I would have been yeah. like, you guys just told me to get lost. Like, go. Go look for non-exploded ordin- yeah, ordnance. Yeah, because we don't rockets want is yeah we don't want them in the woods hurting these kids who we've already burned down their orphanage, right? For no reason. For and I'm sorry, fire bat. Mm-hmm. Uh, a mine is one thing, but do you need a metal detector to find a rocket? And why was he metal detecting the bushes? Like he was like up in the trees, like metal detecting, like he like didn't if a rocket, see those. Yeah. If a rocket came flying off of a fighter jet, it's not small. No. <laughs> so I don't think you need a, a mine detector to find it. Well, I mean, the woods are kind of thick. And to be fair, yes, as Jason mentioned, he's metal detecting wide open ground and yeah. then suddenly starts waving it around like above head level. Yeah. <laughs> and like you don't see a rocket like it's I might find a rocket hanging in the tree. Like, what the hell is he doing? Yeah. And it and it's another one of those things that you pointed out, Jason, where the proportion of it looks really weird. Yeah, the like, the, the front like the, end of the mine detector is just really big. Yeah, dude, it's it's 
it's it looks like he's got a you know a, a NASA satellite dish at yep. the end of that mine. He's detector. trying to get direct TV off the front of it. <laughs> can, can we also mention that when Zartan does stumble across shipwreck, um, he does the classic judo chop to the back, yep. yeah. which knocks him out. Yeah. Exactly. Does he from quick... like does that work? Like it worked in Austin Powers. I want to think like it, it's, the, it's the like trapezoid, like a yeah. pressure point that if you line up pressure, sure. it'll wasn't that where the pass out? Wasn't that where the Vulcan neck grip was too? Yeah, no, that was on the neck. Like, oh yeah, this is this is more here, right? On tra- like hitting him right in the in the what did I say trapezoid in your yeah. trapezius, right? He's exactly. Like, right in the trapezius, and Shabrak's mm-hmm. like, oh god, and like he's done. Yeah, quadrilateral. Yeah. He hit him in the quadrilateral. <laughs> the dodecahedron. Yep, he's obtuse. Him in the quadrilateral. So, and then also, like one of the things that I wrote down was that, that so the MacGuffin device creates acid trips. Yeah, like no, it's it like brings your acid trips to life. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, how is I mean, I guess that's a viable weapon, and it's it's totally Cobra, right? It, like that's totally a Cobra plan. Broke it all down, well, like. I mean, if they had given that thing to Mindbender, who knows what we're going to see. Yeah. He would have seen I, a lot I of people an, without I, shirts on. I, I have some ideas, but they're maybe not appropriate for this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Some I, leather masks, safety words, banana boat. I mean, come on. I was going to say, <laughs> Mindbender probably, to, to, to take something else from The Simpsons, Mindbender probably has a, a, the standard saying of we work hard and we play hard. Yeah, exactly. You never I know. Just, Steelworkers like, of America. <laughs> is Mindbender a retired uh, guy from the Village People? Like, yes, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. He's he's either Major Blood or a retired Village People. Who knows? Brainwaves. What else you guys got on this? I think we're getting pretty close so, to uh, wrapping yeah, up. Yeah. So this um, back to the. The story, um, shoot, no, let's see. Uh, oh, when Zartan shows up and the kids are like, read us a story. He starts, he sits down and he immediately knows all the characters that Shipwreck was using in the story. Like, So I thought that too, but she did mention the names of the people. She's like, Duke and his group is in the, is, is there and Ship Shape is here. And he only uses the names that the little girl mentions. And then he goes he off in a big cobra. I think she mentions. I think she said something about being trapped or something like that. But the cobra. But basically, he went into the right uh, might makes right speech. He did. But yeah, you're right. It was kind of weird that he knew exactly where they had left off, or uh, knew all the characters. There was good continuity to the story. But that that was the other thing. I was like, huh. Why does he know where they're all going? And then I was like, I, I kind of listened to it again. And he, he doesn't really, he kind of named some of the people that she named. And then he just went, yeah, because Cobra is going to come in and kill you because right, uh, might makes right. And you disobeyed him for too long and you, you don't have to worry about it. He didn't mess. Yeah. I don't think he did anything with ship shape. It was just. No, I mean, not all right. Well, um, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick, Jason. So during this, during this, uh, 40 some odd minutes here. What what did you learn about the episode Once Upon a Joe? What did I learn about the episode? Yeah. I learned that Buzz Dixon is on crack. Okay. He was the writer, the writer of this episode. Okay. And uh, that um, 
after this episode, it kind of sort of goes downhill because it's the one with uh, the golden medic. Then there's the other one now where Iceberg turns into a whale. Uh, <laughs> to be reviewed. Uh, so, oh, uh, the model, the, the the fashion model stealing people's faces. So oh, yeah. really, this is kind of sort of the down spiral. Like this is what starts off everything is to to kind of go the uh, 180 degrees of what GI Joe was from the first season. Because uh, yeah. It's weird. Well, it starts off. It starts off relatively well that season because Arise or Pentor Arise is like yeah, that really was one a big of my one. favorite parts of GI Joe ever. Yeah, right. And and that, that was great. But you're right. It's a good good turning point. Joe, what did you learn about this about this episode in the last forty um, some odd minutes? I don't know. I learned. I think maybe like when I was a kid. Even when I was a kid, I was like, bro, what? Like on a lot of the stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's still a cartoon but it's sort of more of a grown-up cartoon you know what i mean like yeah it's not totally little kids but it kind of is i mean based on today's standards where does it fit with today's cartoons like right is it pokemon is it power rangers like is this like way grown up comparatively versus what kids watch today you know what i mean like or is it a genre that just simply doesn't exist anymore i i was kind of thinking more of a how does it how would G.I. Joe go today versus, I mean, a lot of the episodes are kooky. I, too, love Rise Serpentor, but at the same time, like, they're just using this crazy device to create, to steal DNA. They have that Mushman monster that, like, uh-huh. sort of, it. you know what I mean? So G.I. Joe's already a little far-fetched, which I fully accept, but it's, I, I more thought about, like, where would G.I. Joe actually, would it even exist today? And I, I don't think it would. Well, you have so the do you, you, do you stuff think, like um, GI Joe Extreme, and then yeah. uh, what was the one uh, GI Joe not Resolute, but there was another one that was Sigma Renegades? Six Renegades. 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 Cal- yeah. So there was yeah. other ones that were more, um, still more realistic, but a little bit more cartoony, as well. Yeah. Uh, different yeah, style, kind of like with the. Um, but are the plots so outrageous? But do you think they're trying to lure in a, a younger age bracket at this time? Because kit like re- like let's say uh was well, 1986, right? So I'm I'm seven years old watching this. But would would a four year old care really what was going on in the plot of, of no, the show, right? So or would they like that the little the little the little kid forms of the GI Joes show up? So I think this. So two things might be happening. One, uh, you might be getting something from um, like parents associations, where the first mm-hmm. season of GI Joe was really quote unquote violent, and so now they're trying to go away from a lot of that stuff. So they're trying to get. Um, you know, they're not using their weapons as much. There's some kooky stories. Some things are happening. It's still Cobra versus G.I. Joe. But the 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 stakes are different. It's more of a wackiness. Like, what's Cobra oh. going to do today? Oh, they're going to go make people into giant animals and then have them take over the world? Um, mm-hmm. And then the other thing um, that I was thinking of is, is um, it is for a different audience, right? Because if you think about Star Wars, the first three, Phantom Menace, uh, Attack of the Clones, or whatever that was, those weren't made for us. They were made for the kids today, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds. Yeah, younger today, right? All the bright colors and the yeah. key characters, which is interesting because the original Star Wars was not made for... No. Even no. though they had the toy component of it, 
Yeah. It was made it was made for like late teens, like early 20s. I feel like the, you know, episodes 4, 5 and 6 were. But I right. think the toy component became because of GI Joe or, or other other things out in the area. Then they're like, "Oh, well we've got to start throwing out these 3 and a quarter inch things because everybody wants them." Oh, but right? Star Wars, was Star Wars toys came out. I thought they came out I late. Mean, I think that Star mm-hmm. Wars was there and then they were like, "Oh, well, now we should start marketing because I thought that's where George well, Lucas lost a lot of No, you know, so they Star Wars was, if I'm not mistaken, the first um, movie that specifically made toys okay. based off of the movie, like, and marketed them as widely as they did. Like, yeah, okay. <clears throat> versus, well, we're gonna have toys that go with like Battlestar Galactica or whatever. Sure. Like, oh, do we have any list? Star Wars was well, Star Wars Benedict was literally <laughs> Battlestar Galactica doesn't compare. What? What are you talking about? Dirk Star Benedict. Wars? Dirk Benedict. Get out of here. Get it. No, uh, you're thinking, are you thinking of Bucker? Oh, Dirk Benedict. Yeah. Face man. Benedict. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're getting off topic. So, so let's, let's kind of bring it, yeah, bring it together here. So clearly at some point, somebody in marketing on all of these things was brilliant because our, our age bracket is the toy and video game generation, right? The, the people that are still, I would argue the people that are still buying actual toys, action figures, stuff like that. Are, are still our generation. Yes. My, my, my son does not go buy toys. He plays video games. Right. And does a lot of stuff on his phone. He, he's not, except for Legos, he's not interested in toys. Yeah, my you know, kids I, weren't really interested in toys much either. But we, I can speak for all of us, have gone to toy stores together in our 40s, right? Yep. We still order G.I. Joe classified action figures. And of course, we you know, G.I. Joe is the guideline, in my opinion, of my childhood. Like, there were other toys that came and went. It always came back to G.I. Joe. And we're here now recording a podcast about episodes of G.I. Joe, knowing that we can tie in the toys and we can tie in the movies and all that kind of stuff. And it coincidentally ties in with being the 40th anniversary of the real American hero, G.I. Joe. But um, all, all that to say... It, it, the imprint was there, and I agree with Joe that there is not another cartoon that fits in this same genre, if you want to call it that way. There's nothing really like G.I. Joe. I think they attempted at times during that time. I mean, Mask was a good attempt at, at making a similar type of action figure slash cartoon combo. It just wasn't but on the same level. It wasn't like, on the same level. G.I. Joe, I think, especially for us, right? Like, we're from a particular place in America, right? The, yeah. The, the San Francisco Bay Area, that's a very diverse place. Like, we grew up with kids from all over the place, right? Yeah. And G.I. Joe, to me, like, represented what I was seeing in my life every day, right? Like, a, yeah. a, a variety of different kinds of people. Um, G.I. Joe, more than any other cartoon at the time that had people in it, was diverse they gave prominent roles to women, right? Like, <clears throat> yeah. Like, how cutting edge was that during the time period? You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> is that yeah. something that was very prominent in cartoons? They yeah. were also the only ones making women action figures too, because the yeah. the Transformers got knocked for not having the the girl Transformer that they had in the movie, and yeah. there were a couple other cartoons that had uh, really strong women roles, and they weren't making the figures out of them. Well, and, and Scarlet, Scarlet appeared to be a relatively high-ranking officer within G.I. Joe because, you know, G.I. Joe doesn't seem to follow the standard military ranking 
no. you know, Paul Rowley had a first name. That's a that's a dead but, Well, but also in terms of actual rank, like Duke is a sergeant, right. but he's basically in charge of all the field operations for GI Joe. Right. Until and General Hawk shows in, up. Yeah, and then they bring General Hawk in later. But it's if if you ask me, it's by the time you get everybody involved, General Hawk, Duke, Flint, Beachhead, and then. Like Scarlet might even be a yeah, Scarlet might even be ahead of Beachhead though. They were yeah. just featuring. I think they were just featuring Beachhead again because he he was an action figure that came out that well, year. It's funny too because they have basically a bunch of NCOs and warrant officers, right? Flint's a warrant right. officer who sort of outranks but doesn't outrank. Like, and then they have a general. They have nothing in between. And then we get right. to the movie and we see Lieutenant Falcon, who's still taking orders from Duke who's a sergeant. Like, right. So like, it seems like you held one rank in the, in the standard military in the United States military. But once you got brought into the elite GI Joe force, those things didn't matter Not because right in now. GI Joe, the movie, much, maybe Falcon points out that he outranks Duke Another hour or two. Jesus. You know, I mean, so I think the fact that he out, he, he points it out, but it doesn't seem to matter. Right. Well, I mean, there are instances in the military where your rank doesn't matter. So, like, when we did range safety, um, there was an instance where a two-star general got basically immediately corrected for his lack of safety, Uh weapon safety. And you utter the words, with all due respect, this is my range type of thing, right? Right, sure. So, I mean, it does exist, but on the level that G.I. Joe does, not quite right yeah well and i can tell you when it comes to the action figure type stuff i i used duke when i like first got him and then almost never used duke again like he, he was a boring figure he was a boring character yeah. beachhead was beachhead was always my guy that kind of led people into battle it right. came with a silly gun too that one that had like the stock was hollowed out so it like fit yeah. around the back of his arm so it attached to the wrist basically the forearm. yeah well, all right. But I think we, we're we about time to, to wrap it up, guys, unless you have anything else to add. Oh, I, I do give... want to point out that um, during the – where um, they're talking about needing more support for the firing of the Firebat, uh, Dial Tone is essentially just a corded telephone for Beachhead. There's an episode <laughs> – he's just sitting – he's standing there, and the telephone receiver is coming out of his backpack or his, his belt. I don't know where it was, and, and, and Beachhead's just sitting there talking on the phone. So, Joe, I know you you looked into this a little bit real quick. So, why don't you, uh, you kind of tell people where they can go watch this episode? Uh, oh yeah. Today. So, um, on YouTube, Hasbro Hasbro's website basically has anything any episode you want. Um, okay. They have a Hasbro channel. Oh, by the way, I should mention we are not sponsored by Hasbro, but they made GI Joe, so they're kind of a big deal for our purposes. Um, and then. The Hasbro channel also currently has just 24-hour streaming because it is the 40th anniversary of G.I. Joe. They've, they're just full-on streaming every episode of G.I. Joe 24-7, nonstop. There are, there are some commercials that pop in, but for the most part, it's just G.I. Joe nonstop. nonstop. Yeah. Which is awesome, by the way. And I, I watched on DVD, but I also know you can watch on Tubi, which is a a free streaming service that, that Jason brought to my attention, you know, a, a couple years back. Um, 
but if this is according to uh, IMDb, this is uh, season two, episode number ten. Again, it is Once Upon a Joe, but also we, the three of us, tend to call it the MacGuffin device. Do you uh, think this is where GI Joe jumped the shark? Do you think that's this episode? Maybe. I mean, I guess I'd have to watch the first nine episodes of the season to decide. You well, know, five of them were Arise to Pento Arise. Okay, so. <laughs> Which <laughs> that's, that's one could argue point, is already then. jumping the shark? <laughs> then yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> I mean, oh, you know, that's that's a good point. I mean, yeah, they do they do make a they do make a, an emperor out of the DNA of of and world dictators, meat, basically, apparently. right? And hamburger meat, so <laughs> right. So I guess yeah, but it's interesting how you don't notice it as much. Then, like I I think very fondly of a rise to Pentor Arise, which I think we we should definitely do an episode. Um, that revolves. Maybe we break it down into the to the five parts that it was initially. Yeah, um, I like the idea of also maybe doing just a, um, uh, like a yeah, like a, an episode for each one of them, like the mass device, the rise serpent to arise, uh, um, well, the weather, uh, the pyramid of darkness. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. weather dominators, something or other in there too. Yeah, that was. Or is that just a single, single episode? The mass device, or the one for the movie. Then we can do the one on the movie. Yeah, I, mean, which, I guess cool. you can go see the movie later this month, right? It's in oh, theaters. we will. It's two weeks. Yeah, oh, we I will. did. I did get lucky and find out that one of my theaters here Montana. is going to show it. So nice. What is this? Um, so <laughs> we uh, we are we are the Saturday morning buffoons. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, at sm buffoons, and uh, you can also uh email us when the email actually escapes me right now as to what that is uh i believe it's smbuffoons at gmail.com uh thank you very much for listening and uh we'd we'd love to uh continue to do some more episodes for you guys joe jason thanks for showing up today let's cue that outro music